This is the 966 episode 102. Hello, Mr. Richard. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Good to, good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. You know what's funny is we're chat, chat, chatting, and, and then, well, we hit record. It's like, you know, and then we have to, I guess we have to, as if we haven't been talking almost every day, and, you know, you know, like, oh, this is brand new. We're doing an episode. Well, nice to it, see you. Nice to see you. Yeah, nice to see you. So <laughs> it's funny because I'm just looking at the clock now. We set the time for our recording, the episode recording, 30 minutes ago. And so we have just been talking for 30 minutes without recording anything, and it occurs that maybe we should start recording now. Um, so anyway, 102 episodes in. We have a terrific episode this week, Richard, with Rowan Hashem from Karma, talking a little bit about public opinion and especially the media's opinion and how Saudi Arabia is displayed in the media. Really, really good discussion and how Vision 2030 fits into that and how perceptions of Vision 2030 are evolving. Just more good stuff from the 966 boys, if we may say so modestly. Yeah, I love this because we talk about 2030, you know, Vision 2030 all the time. It's it's cool to get someone's analytical, data-driven uh, analysis of how it's actually being perceived globally. And Rowan does a great job with this. Yeah, Rowan was great. I And we remarked on this, Richard, but she was our first guest, I think, to join from in Lebanon, within yes. Lebanon. So that's cool. Yes. There you go. And certainly Lebanon is among the now more than 100 countries in which you can listen and people are listening to the 966. This is from Abdulaziz99. Love the show. Following you for over a year. Just found you on YouTube. Watching here now, but great on drive to and from work in Riyadh. Thank you, guys. Five stars. That's so nice. Thank you. That's Abdul really Z. nice. Really I wonder nice. How, since since he discovered you, if you look younger than he, if you look the same <laughs> as he imagined, or I do too. We should actually ask that of more. I'm really interested in that, and and it's always cool when you do a podcast. Usually, your uh, people's podcasts have the image of the host on the on the podcast right. main logo. Ours is just our logo, and maybe we'll you know gussy that up and include our faces so we don't startle people when they jump on the Zoom call, Richard. You we'll know see. that's. Let me, I'm putting a note. I'm going to send this to our media team. Yeah, okay. and also uh, CC the graphics team. They're all located uh, in the bunker with the data room, I think, and the vault where we keep all the money. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Abdulaziz, for that comment. Very nice. Um, You can listen to us on any podcast platform if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're listening to this on any podcast platform, check it out on YouTube because, um, you know, well, you get to see our faces, which is a lovely treat. But we have... B-roll and some more stuff there. And we actually break things out as segments there. So if you're looking to get into something individually, and it's funny, we get sent the show back to us with comments. You know, people will like send it around and then forward it and then say, listen to this, nice. And I always think that's great because it's like, uh, thank you for sending the episode back. We, we made it, <laughs> yes. but it's nice to be given back the gift of the 966. That is, that is affirmation. What, yes, it what, is. Thank you for that affirmation. And I last thing to mention before we get started, I think we went viral on TikTok this week, um, Richard, and I don't uh, really know how TikTok works that well, but I'm learning because apparently we went a little viral there on a really old clip about Rivian of all things, ancient, ancient and it's clip. in Arabic and all that. So I, that was cool. Uh, yay. <laughs> well, and, you know, but that's really where we want to get to, you know, be able to 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 slice and dice every one of these episodes and put it out on every platform and that sort of thing. So 
someday, you know, if that vault of money that you referenced earlier, if we can find it, Mm -hmm. we'll be doing that. Well, there's a rainbow here. So if we just go to the end of it, there may be a pot of gold. Um, Let's get started this week. Richard, what's your one big thing? Excellent. Um, So we hear a lot. We cover it here. We hear a lot about Saudi Arabia spending billions to buy, uh, you name it, entire sports sectors, uh, build outrageous giga giga projects, host all existing global global forums like the World Expo and FIFA World Cup along with any number of sort of ambitious, surprising, and to some people, we have to be honest, threatening initiatives. Um, And I wanted to bring our listeners' attention to a $1 billion initiative that they may not be familiar with, and that is the Evolution Foundation. Evolution is a combination of health and evolution. And the Saudi government uh, established this as a nonprofit in 2018 with a specific mission to extend the healthy human lifespan by supporting research and entrepreneurships in the in the field of health span science. So established in 2018, but uh, operations started in July last year, 2022. Evolution is focused mostly on establishing itself, you know, getting getting going, and it's dispersed about $20 million to date. However, according to its CEO, Dr. Mahmoud Khan, who by the way, uh, was chief scientific officer of PepsiCo for more than a decade. Uh, what do I always say? PepsiCo's everywhere where we go, or or everywhere we go, PepsiCo's been there first. Um, uh, but Dr. Mahmoud Khan has said that spending is expected to ramp up towards $1 billion within the next two to four years. Now, what I really like and I'm impressed by is that Evolution won't conduct its own research. Instead, it's going to work with established institutions to pump money into underfunded areas of study. So according to Dr. Khan, quote, we're sort of doing the non-traditional approach. Who else might be able to solve the problem? One of our goals is to actually attract new scientists in terms of entering science and scientists from adjacent fields that may not have data, but their technologies could be relevant to solving the issues we're trying to solve, unquote. Um, Dr. Khan adds that, and we like this, much of the initial grant money is likely to end up at universities and startups in the U.S. where scientists are trying to develop treatments that slow, prevent, or reverse the aging process for humans. So Evolution recently hired two investment partners, plans to announce its first direct investment for the end of this year. Um, It has registered uh, a nonprofit entity in the U.S. and an LLC with an office plan for Boston and others to follow in Europe and Asia. So a couple of quotes. And and a lot lot of this information is from a a very good Wall Street Journal article just last week on Evolution. So Stephen Austad, who's Senior Science Director at the American Federation for Aging Research, AFAR, it's a U.S. nonprofit that has received $7.6 million from Evolution. So you see Evolution is farming out the money, making contributions and grants to entities already in the field. So Stephen Austed says, quote, the prospect of a huge surge of funding into the area whose budgets pale in comparison to research on diseases like cancer is causing a stir among scientists who study aging. People in the field are kind of holding their breath to see how the money is going to be spent, unquote. Uh, Afar's executive director, Stephanie Lederman, uh, quote, in the beginning, people were skeptical. 
But I think a lot of that has kind of gone away because they see what uh, we're giving out the money, unquote. So they see that money is flowing. It's getting into, it's being invested. Um, so to close, really, this one big thing. I mean, this is this is really fascinating. It's an exciting spend by Saudi Arabia. And, and Lucian, you hear me frequently mention Saudi Arabia's habit of committing huge sums of money to sectors it deems important but aren't yet profitable. I, you know, I, I call them lost leaders. You know, with the the expectation, hope, or 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 you know, bet that they'll pay off in the end. And, and this is another one. Um, and. I thought this was really interesting. And this sort of speaks to what I'm talking about, loss leaders. Dr. Khan says he would like to see Hevolution help identify biomarkers to track aging and also fund early large-scale human trials for existing repurposed drugs to treat aging. The reason he is interested in these areas is that they require substantial funding, but are unlikely to generate quick profits. So I think Saudi Arabia deserves a little credit. Uh, for this, you know, billion-dollar lost linear initiative that is intended to promote, support, and further science that will hopefully benefit the entire world. Aging science is, you know, frontier stuff. It's it's very new. It's not as well funded as some of these other areas of you know just general biotech and cancer research. Some of those areas are. are not, I don't want to say too well-funded because until they solve the problems that they are setting out to solve, they're not funded enough. But this is new, and that's what's cool about it to me is that Saudi Arabia is putting money down into a field that's just developing, not already developed and already established all over the world. I mean, it is being established in the U.S., but there's a really serious funding problem. And, and we read the same uh, Wall Street Journal article, Richard, obviously, but I mean, this this piece is really good and it's it's really fair. Uh, Stephen Kalen, I know you know, it, it has does, just does a fantastic job with this because he sort of talks about, you know, the funding situation is not great, but Hevolution coming in makes a pretty big difference and speaks to these people who are in receipt of this funding. And, you know, that's, that's cool. I think the upside for Saudi Arabia, you mentioned they don't actually do the research themselves. They are act, they're sort of farming it out. It's almost like a fund to fund other funds and research and grants and stuff like that. But, you know, they may be putting in some investments and some money into to funds that or or to startups that become very profitable and become something that everybody must have. And it's interesting because on the website for Hevolution, they have some data that's just kind of interesting about, you know, the world, more and more people in the world every day. 80% of older people will be living in low and middle income countries by 2050, 2.1 billion people over 60 by 2050. Wow. I mean, 72.3 years will be the global average life expectancy by 2050. So this is, I mean, I don't really have much to add. This is just like really, really cool. And that they're, you know, that they're, first of all, wealthy enough to be able to do this a billion dollars a year. I know they're not ramped up to that spending yet. They're sort of establishing themselves as an organization, which takes time. They are based in CAFT, Richard, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, You know, but they're, they're, they're just, this is, one of those things where, you know, and the, the, another great quote in here is, and I don't have it right in front of me, but they basically say, well, look, there's always going to be problems with taking money from Saudi Arabia. There will be people that, that are against it no matter what. And that every time this comes up, you know, this is sort of the same conversation. But a lot of these people are just like, well, you know, we need the money. We, we need the money to continue our research. This is not about the political situation or the conversation du jour. It's about helping people live longer. So 
this is a really great story. Highly recommend it. Um, and we will include a link to it um, on YouTube and, and on our website as well. It is a good one. Uh, a few thoughts. One, uh, I'm in particular more so than you interested in, you know, progress on the on the aging front, you know, <laughs> hurry, hurry uh, to Stephen Kalin's first rate. He's a fellow graduate from Davidson College. Um, and three, that's what I really liked about this. You know, the inclination is you got a, a, a lot of money is we'll set up our own foundation. We'll hire our own, you know, we'll do a you know, whole bureaucracy and admin and and scientists and experts, and we'll do it. And, 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 you know, that's not an efficient use of funding. And I like that they're saying, oh, we're not doing that. We're going to find the best and the brightest, see who needs it and, and help them do their work better. And I think that's a really, that's the right way to go about it. And, and again, it's one of those things, this isn't about, um, you can argue that, you know, maybe they should spend all their money on diabetes or obesity or this sort of thing, which are very specific homegrown problems. And they are, of course. Um, but this is something you can look at and go, this is a global, this is a global issue. And you just, you just cited some facts, uh, and some data and, and they're pumping a bunch of money in that has, wasn't available before. So hopefully it might, it could very well make a real difference. I hope so. We all age. So it does affect me just as much yeah. as you, Richard. I, yeah, and I just kind of feel yeah. We're doing this a little late later than normal. And if we don't hurry up, I got to go take a nap. I agree. I, I think they should hurry up about <laughs> it's, it. It's early afternoon. I'm fading. <laughs> I need my nap. That's and then right. I got to go to the blue plate special. <laughs> the uh, Salisbury steak, 430. Yeah, at the Olive Garden, 530 Olive Garden. <laughs> um, really good one. I hope um, perhaps that we will have somebody on from this organization at some point soon. And it'd be great to learn about what they're doing, where they are in their build out. Uh, maybe that's coming on the 966 this fall. We do have a very nice awesome nice lineup. Teaser. Maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe Inshallah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> My one big thing this week, tourism in Saudi Arabia is definitely taking off. So people who follow Saudi Arabia at all know that they're trying to become a tourist destination. And we have some data out this week that I'll get to in a moment. But just wanted to start with a general beginning observation here on how interconnected tourism is with a diversified economy. Saudi Arabia wants to be a tourist destination. This is evident not just in the declared intention from the top, which started really in earnest with the launch of Vision 2030, but in the actual follow through and the actual conviction to make Saudi Arabia a tourist destination with more to offer as it continues to grow. There's really no way to just turn on a light switch and become a tourist destination overnight if you find yourself in the position of, hey, I'm leading a country and I'd like to have some tourists now. There's just no really no real way to do that, especially when you weren't one before at all. Remember, Saudi Arabia only very recently rolled out tourist visas for visitors not in the kingdom for religious tourism. That happened on September 28th, 2019, about five months after that, we all know what happened. Um, and basically the world shut down around the world, really no travel or tourism at all. Of all the industries affected by the pandemic, tourism and hospitality comes to mind as probably one of the most affected. So fast forward to the other side of the pandemic and what we're seeing now is Saudi Arabia seeing progress on answering questions that people would ask before visiting any country. Things like, what is there to do in Saudi Arabia? What type of tourism is on offer? Is it adventure tourism, beaches and relaxation, business tourism, historical, archaeological tourism? What kind of experience will you have visiting Saudi Arabia? Can, you, can Saudi Arabia handle the influx of tourists? Is it affordable? Is it safe and is it fun? I, I get 
asked that question probably more than anyone else. Is it safe? Are you safe there? Where can you stay? How do you get around? What are the airports like? Are the people friendly? Are they hospitable? <laughs> I think anybody listening to this podcast or knows any Saudis at all know the answer to that last question. But um, what you can say is that if you want to be a tourism destination, you have to have answers to these questions. And those answers take time really to build out. You have to have answers to those questions to entice people to actually visit. And that's really where Saudi Arabia is seeing progress, visible, measurable progress. I mentioned earlier, we have some data out this week to share and discuss here. And two stories really this week. One, the raw data here that we just got uh, tourism is up and it's up big. It's adding to the economy's increasing diversity. Revenues in Saudi Arabia tripled during the first quarter of 2023, reaching about $9.86 billion. This is according to the SPA, the Saudi press agency. The kingdom has recovered significantly since the COVID pandemic, hosting approximately 7.8 million tourists during the first quarter of the year. That number represents a 64% increase in the number of tourists so far in 2023 compared to the pre-COVID record year in 2019. A 225% rise in revenue helped flip the balance of payments in Saudi Arabia's tourism sector. That's astonishing. And if you're interested in Saudi tourism becoming a thing, or if you're interested in visiting Saudi Arabia, that is a good thing. The second story I mentioned earlier that came out this week, sort of one that might fly under the radar if it weren't for the Sustig review, which again, short plug in here, please subscribe to it, unbelievable newsletter. Um, people seem to really like it. We put a lot of sweat and love into it, Mr. Wilson. So uh, gotta just put that out there. But a uh, story out this week about Middle East hotel project counts, which have hit an all time high. Middle East region continues to show a steady pipeline of growth in the hotel in hotel projects in the second quarter of this year. When you include projects in early planning in the Middle East hotel construction pipeline, it hit the all time high in the second quarter of 2023. Middle East countries with the greatest number of projects in the construction pipeline at the close of quarter two, led by, unsurprisingly, Saudi Arabia with an all-time high of 276 projects and 72,144 rooms. That's a lot. <laughs> so this is working. We're going back to the questions I asked earlier. There's so much to do in Saudi Arabia. All kinds of tourism are on offer or are coming soon. Adventure tourism, beaches, business, relaxation, historical, archaeological, ecotourism. We'll talk a little bit about that in yellow, a little foreshadowing. Even beyond that, yachting, sports, entertainment-based reasons to visit, seasons and fairs, great restaurants, unique culinary scene. Yes, Saudi Arabia can handle the influx of tourists. Yes, you can visit affordably. Just look at the new hotel projects that are coming online, and you can see it at the Rua Al Medina project. Uh, the hotels that they announced, they're not all four seasons and ultra luxurious hotel offerings. It's the range. You get the whole thing. You have high places and other more affordable offerings, more infrastructure and airlines to service Riyadh and other cities around Saudi Arabia. Yes, it is safe. It's incredibly safe. It's fun. It's totally unique. It's beautiful. And yes, of course, the people, not just friendly, hospitality in Saudi Arabia is legendary. So we have more hotel rooms coming, tourism as a sector is growing, what's next? What we're seeing right now, there's a huge gap. Just, this is just, to, to me, I don't need to research this to know this is true, but I did research it, but there's a huge gap between <laughs> Saudi Arabia's desires to be a tourist destination and the global customers fully embracing that. And it takes time uh, for that to sort of fix itself. What's next is bridging that gap and getting more people from around the world to visit for the first time. And then to get some of those people to come back again 
Americans and people worldwide know so little about Saudi Arabia. It's just whatever you see in the media, because most haven't visit, visited. So it's just whatever you see in the media for most people on the planet. Tourism for the kingdom is not just about making money and diverse economy, but it's actually about showcasing Saudi Arabia to the world. This is a place that likely does not fit into your expectations of the kingdom, but is a place that they want you to come see, which is really cool. And just back to that gap really quickly before I wrap this up, Richard, you know, when you Google uh, Saudi tourism or, or tourism Saudi, just those two words, it's kind of insane. The questions are, can Americans visit Saudi Arabia? And what is, uh, so, so yes, can US citizens visit Saudi Arabia? Why is Saudi focusing on tourism? Is Saudi Arabia, is Saudi Arabia friendly to tourists? These are the questions, and these aren't <laughs> specific to me. These are questions that Google displays as the most commonly asked questions. So just wrapping this up, I think for Saudi Arabia, you see the numbers coming out this week, really just two stories that Saudi Arabia's tourism sector is starting to really come to life. And this is before a lot of the ultra cool giga projects actually come online. And then you also see construction infrastructure development to match that. You kind of have to be bullish on the Saudi tourism sector now, you know, five years into the announce of announcement of the kingdom's desire to become a tourist destination, the, the release of visas to pretty much anyone from around the world being able to do so online with ease. So we've talked about tourism before on the on the podcast. So this isn't some really new story, but the data that came out this week was pretty surprising and, and I think pretty good. That was a good one. I don't have a lot to add. And I think it's but it's an important one because we know that tourism is a key sector for them. Um, these were both of those were good stories. The incredible increase in the number of tourists, the amount of revenue, that hotel construction number and that data is insane. And we're talking, you mentioned Saudi Arabia, 276 projects and 72,000 plus rooms. Uh, and second, it was the Emirates with 106 projects, so less than half, and 27,921 rooms. Again, you know, less than half of what's going on in Saudi Arabia. But it, it what I liked about that one big thing is you talked about, um, you know, all the things that go into making a place a, a viable tourist destination. And this is a question we always ask when it comes to Vision 2030, because, you know, <clears throat> for a lot of countries have visions and uh, some of them go after them, uh, you know, and, at, at various rates of commitment and various rates of success and various rates of implementation, you know, but they all start out as, you know, as, as you know, you know, ink on paper. Um, and the question with the Vision 23 is always going to be for Saudi Arabia, okay, but are you going to do the work that, that is required to achieve all these goals? And I, I just think without a doubt, you can see Saudi Arabia doing the work from the, all the way from the regulatory reform that you're talking about, you know, the ease of access to, to you know, uh, identifying and prepping sites and then, you know, building accommodations. And then another aspect that I think uh, that you didn't happen to mention, but it's a big part of this is, is training a workforce in the hospitality sector that can uh, staff all these places. And I, I've talked about it before. You've talked about it before. You know, when I was in Alula, all the tour guides, very capable, most of them young women, but they've been trained. They're, they're articulate. They're, they're professionals. Um, 
And I think they're trying Saudi Arabia. This is, you know, a major challenge in terms of getting a, a, a capable workforce in any sector. But, you know, a, a new one like tourism, you've got to train up a whole generation. So what I'm seeing and you know, Saudi Arabia has to be very pleased with these really, really positive reports and data because it affirms that they're putting in the work and the work is is returning some really nice results. Strengthens the point too, and that's a good one about just how these things take a little bit of time. I mean, that to get that that base of employees and, and people to service this industry that will see a ton of job growth in addition to economic growth that's added to the GDP. I mean, but in real life, you know, you have people with different careers, new jobs, you know, rising up the ladder in this industry, which is super cool, you know, and it also makes me think about just the last point. I've had this conversation, I feel like recently several times, but Saudi Arabia just realizing that it has a strategically advantageous location between Europe, the middle Europe, you know, the Americas and the East. It sounds like anyone, any child with a map of the world can be like, that's kind of the middle, depending on where this thing's laid out. But it actually is, you know, if you operate with that as an idea and as a guiding principle that, hey, like we should really take advantage of if people are transiting the world or going from, you know, the U.S. to Asia or Europe to Asia, like why not come through the Middle East? Why not make them ask them or, you know, see if they want to stop in Saudi Arabia and spend a few days add on their vacation? It makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just untapped. And that's what's exciting. It's only 2023, although... Richard, the way we go viral these days, this may blow up in two years. So it's whatever year it is when you're watching this or listening to this. But, but this is cool. I mean, this is just shows that their placement and their their thought process is very organized and focused on this. Yeah, and and, and I don't. I, I you're you're a very good point. I mean, the the thing is, and this is what I mean about doing the work. I don't want to. I don't want to belabor that. But you know, they've always been aware of their strategic geostrategic location. But it doesn't matter if it takes, you know, three weeks to clear customs or you can't transit the airline yes. or you can't get in to visit. It, none of them matters where you are on the map if you can't get there and you can't do business there easily and profitably. Um, and that's the thing that's changed. It's not, an, you know, for me, it's not an awareness that they're, they're at a key location. It's that, all right, instead of us, you know, being closed off to the world, let's really leverage this and this is what what we're seeing now, the results of that philosophical change. I don't even know if it's a philosophical change. It's just that the results of that, they, they, they've gotten any you know obstacles and impediments. They moved a mile out of the way. Let's get to this. Let's do the work. Let's make it happen. Let's stop talking about it. That's exactly right. It's execution. It's, it's execution. Yeah. So cool. Visit Saudi Arabia. I will be there at the, the beginning of next month, October. So, you know. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. Um, anyway, Richard, shall we? Let's get to our conversation with Ruan Hashem. She was wonderful from Karma. Really cool conversation. And, and we thank her in advance. This is just great. Yeah, she's terrific. Thank you. Enjoy. We are delighted to be speaking now with Rawan Hashem from the media consultancy Karma, which recently produced an in-depth research report analyzing media coverage of Saudi Arabia to identify prominent conversations and sentiments on the kingdom and highlight how Vision 2030 is impacting the global media's perception of the kingdom. Rowan is head of Karma's Content Insights Division with a team of over 80 researchers, editors, and analysts. Rowan, 
Thanks so much for joining the 966. Hi, Richard. Hi, Lishan. It's great to be here with you on this podcast, and thank you for having me today. Um, I'm really excited to share my insights with you all. Well, Ruan, we're so happy to have you. I think you might be our first guest from Lebanon. If That's I'm not, interesting. If I'm not mistaken. And uh, I want to, yeah. we, we really appreciate it because uh, we have referenced the karma reports before on uh, on the 966. And then this latest one that came out, analyzed and assessed the first half of 2023, uh, we were really excited about. So when we reached out to you, you said, absolutely, let's do this. But before we do that, you we were t- chatting beforehand and you said you were born and raised in Beirut. Yes? Correct. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yes, of course. So I studied uh, journalism in Beirut, uh, and then I did master's at Georgetown University in uh, intercultural communication. Uh, And then that's when I started working with international organizations on media measurement and evaluation. I have around 17 years of experience in the world of media intelligence, and a significant chunk of that, nine years to be precise, has been with Karma. Um, Karma is uh, Karma is a global provider of media intelligence services, or to put it simply, uh, we're all about helping our clients uh, navigate and understand uh, this ever-evolving media intelligence landscape. And our goal is to empower them to make strategic decisions and showcase their success through providing them with top-notch media monitoring and communication evaluation programs. Um, My expertise uh, revolves around turning data into meaningful stories that can truly engage the audience. And I've always been captivated by the art of transforming research into compelling narratives. Uh, So during my journey at Karma, I really had the chance and the pleasure to work with some of the world's most prominent organization. Uh, And what really drives me and my team is this commitment to to simplify complex data, because you know that in today's fast-paced world, it's crucial for organizations to, to have a clear understanding of the information available at hand, and that's where we come in. It, it is fascinating. And you're, I, I love the title, your title, Director of Content Insights. And, and you're exactly right. Turning, you know, uh, giving data narrative makes it so much more useful. And, you know, what we, we sort of do that every day here because we, we, we produce the Sustig Review, which is a daily newsletter, which is curation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because information yeah. is just so so massive and so broad and so deep, you know, it's helpful to our audience for us to go through and and do a filter or two, one they trust. And so I absolutely understand what you're saying. And, it, you know, Karma is really interesting. And and I guess you guys have like 11 offices, primarily in, you have one in DC, but you also, but it's primarily based in Dubai, but it's primarily Europe right. and, and Middle East, correct? Right. We have 19 offices uh, in the world. All We're right. based in Dubai, but it's a global company. We have offices yeah. in London and Portugal and Asia and Cairo and Beirut. We're all over the place. Well, let's talk about this study. And and we love this because we talk about Vision 2030 all the time on the yeah. show. And it informs so much about Saudi Arabia and what's going on in Saudi Arabia. And if and you know this, but you know, a lot number of our, our guests have talked about how it's changed the mindset in Saudi Arabia. Paradigms are different about everything, about how business is conducted, how people approach their daily lives. 
it's it's just been extraordinary to watch. It's harder to get a handle on global perceptions. Right. And this is why your study is so fascinating. And, and the name of the study is A Kingdom Reimagined, How Vision 2030 is Transforming KSA's Reputation. Um, can you can you run th- give us a story behind the report? You know, why this? And and we'd love to just hear how it went through and how you how you developed yeah. it. And, and... Sure. So let me take you behind the, the scenes of this uh, incredible journey. Uh, this report is so close to my heart, and uh, we began working. The idea sparked in 2020. So imagine this: 2020, it was a year like no other, and back then. Karma had the honor of being the media intelligence provider for the G20 summit. It was a global pandemic uh, that has greatly impacted the entire world. But amid all of that, we saw that Saudi Arabia stood out with how it handled the crisis, how it leveraged advanced digital technology um, to to mitigate the pandemic's impact. And witnessing all of that, we couldn't help uh, but be amazed by the country's resilience, the country's innovation. Now we were in Riyadh during the summit and that was a profound experience. And we were seeing all the signs, Richard, they were all unmistakable. Uh, The country was on the verge of of a big transformative era. And as a journalist at heart, I was captivated. I was I was eager to to dive deeper into this fascinating story. And later in the year when when G20 ended, uh, we started to see a new narrative emerging. Um, it was like Saudi Arabia was shedding its old skin and stepping onto this global stage with their blueprint, Vision 2030. And this was not just about oil. It was it was a bold vision for the future. So as we continue to read the news, to monitor, to analyze, as data, uh, we began to notice this nuanced shift in in how the kingdom was being portrayed across the global media outlets. And uh, the spotlight was no longer about the old stereotypes that we all know. It was that the media was highlighting the nation's strides in innovation and tourism and women empowerment in healthcare and digital technology. And that moment really sparked an idea. And we, we realized that it was time to capture this evolving narrative in, in its full glory. Uh, so we started working on this report in 2021, uh, and this report didn't just dissect the media coverage. It it also delved deep into how this vision was was reshaping the the global perceptions. So fast forward in 2021, that was the last the launch of our first report. Um, it's a comparative analysis of how the kingdom was seen in 2020 versus 2021. But our journey did, did not stop there. Uh, we continued to update the report, and really, Richard, each edition was revealing fresh perspectives. And the latest release, which I'm going to talk about today, covers uh, the first half up until the first half of 2023. Uh, and the fact that that every edition 
reveals new layers uh, is only a testament to the country's uh, you know evolution ongoing evolution um, we saw digital leaps uh, digital leaps uh, to healthcare strides um, from investment to education to tourism to sports uh, we saw that the country kept pushing the boundaries um, and that is simply, you know, the story behind the report. It's it's the story of, of a nation unlocking its potential and a karma team committed to telling, you know, this amazing journey. It's, it is fascinating. And by the way, uh, if you were media advisor during the G20, kudos to karma, because that was, you know, hosting that event during the pandemic. So it was virtual. I mean, it's extraordinary extraordinarily difficult proposition. And and I know the Saudis, because they wanted this to be a marquee showcase event with everybody coming to Saudi Arabia. So they had to be a little disappointed, but they they really pivoted nicely, I thought. And media and Lucian, we we covered the G20 you know exhaustively. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even in a virtual environment, I thought they did a really good job. So whatever role karma played in that, yeah. you know, congrats to you. Um, yeah, let's talk about this, the study. Let's talk about the methodology. I guess, you know, 33 major yeah. media markets, but let us know, you know, the depth of it. Sure, sure. So our research had a clear focus. Uh, we wanted to understand the impact of Vision 2030 on Saudi Arabia's reputation and delve into how the nation was being perceived across regional and international top tier media. That was the objective of the study. Now, the scope of the study was was really big, spanning 33 major markets. And think of countries like the United States, Canada, Brazil, all the way to France, Russia, and China. So we cast our net wide to capture a, a very comprehensive picture. Over 3,600 pieces of content from from diverse mediums, newspapers, magazines, online platforms, broadcast, all of these formed the backbone of our study and analysis. And these weren't just your run-of-the-mill content pieces. We had we looked at articles, features, opinion, uh, op-eds, uh, in-depth pieces, interviews, etc. Uh, now, in terms of the methodology. We used AI to help us process a huge amount of data really fast. And these algorithms uh, were trained to sift through the content, uh, to identify anything related to Saudi Arabia. But of course, and that's where karma, uh, where karma comes in, the human element, the curation. So the human element played a crucial role too. Uh, we had a dedicated team of researchers who were carefully reviewing the content uh, that was being flagged by AI uh, to ensure accuracy at every step of the way. And where it gets interesting is that every piece of content was coded. So like putting them into uh, thematic boxes. So we looked at things like the the main topic, the overarching theme, the sentiment expressed. All of this was coded and this coding gave us a structured foundation for our analysis. Then after coding, we didn't stop there. We brought all these coded pieces together, making a kind of the big picture information. And this is what allowed our analysts and uh, consultants to spot the trends, to decode conversations and to extract the insights that that went beyond the surface. So it was like piecing together a puzzle to reveal the big picture of how 
Saudi Arabia's image was being portrayed across various markets and various media outlets. So you you collect this vast amount of data, analyze it, assess it, you have it all together. What what were what were your key findings? Sure. So um, I'm gonna dive into the findings of the latest edition of the report. Um, it, it will kind of give you a fresh perspectives on the entire journey. Yeah. Uh, first, let me set off, let me let me set the stage first. The period that we studied was uh, from 2022 to the first half of 2023. And during that period, there were so many events, so many announcements, so many news. So think about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict on global oil markets, Saudi participation in the World Economic Forum, uh, announcement of the U.S. president's visit to, to the kingdom, the Global AI Summit, the Saudi Historic World Cup win over Argentina, and so on and so forth. So media coverage was at an all-time high during that period. Uh, we didn't just, of course, skim the surface, as I said. Our goal was to dig deep, to unearth the essence of this coverage, and to offer insights that, that can pave the way for future strategic messaging and communication. And um, Richard, when we talk about media measurement and media evaluation, we're essentially exploring how communication shapes people's awareness, how it changes their perception, and how it changes reputations when it comes to nation. So if I want to start with awareness, our report has revealed that one, Vision 2030's mentions it increased by 27% if you look at this the period of the first half of 2023 compared to uh, 2022 to one in five of all articles. And and I'll, I'll get comment to that later on. The second finding is that the sports, the Saudi sports investment strategy um, has achieved global awareness and coverage. And it now represents 20% of all the coverage in the first half of 2023 compared to only 10% in uh, 2022. And I'll, I'll come to that as well. So what does this tell us? This is a sign that Vision 2030 isn't just a buzzword. So it's it's now firmly rooted and as the driving force behind the transformation of the nation. And that is a substantial win because while so many countries um, look forward and aim for transformation, uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has managed not only to get people to talk about its vision, but also to grasp and largely support its aspirations. And that's what we saw in the media. Now, this surge in awareness and recognition isn't only also about understanding, it's about embracing the vision. So what we saw is that the vision has become this compass guiding the kingdom's strategic evolution. It's not just a blueprint. It's not just an accomplishment on paper. It's actually a narrative shaping how the kingdom is being seen. So we saw a lot of stories on sports, on tourism, technology, innovation, and that they are captivating the global media. And through these stories, uh, Saudi Arabia is casting off all stereotypes. It's it's painting a portrait of of being a forward thinking nation, you know, driven by its ambitions, the progress that it's achieving on the ground as well. And to me, this is not just 
an uptick in brand awareness. It's the country establishing itself as, as a global player. Now, that's when it comes to awareness. Now, the other finding, the interesting one, is when it comes to perception. And our report has also revealed that the key messages of Vision 2030 appeared in 12% of the coverage, which shows a, a growing understanding of the national strategy itself. The social topics have also increased by 16%, uh, whereas the economic news declined by 10%. And this shows that uh, the topics of interest for the media are, are growing beyond oil and macroeconomics. And thirdly, the overall sentiment and favorability towards KSA has, has increased. So it jumped from 70 to 71%. And um, the key factor driving this shift in perception is, is simply the considerable progress that the kingdom has made uh, across so many sectors. Uh, we've seen a positive evolution in the narrative that's, that is linked to the success that it has achieved in, in various areas, ranging from economic diversification to social reforms, to technology, to healthcare. And all of these accomplishments, accomplishments um, have impacted how the international community, how the global media are now looking at the kingdom. So, um, the media landscape, uh, we've also seen that the media uh, has seen a marginal, but yet I can call it can call it a significant increase in the coverage of positive stories. Uh, there's a shift from 70 to 71%. And while this seemingly modest numerical increase um, it has a considerable impact because it reflects a consistent trend of highlighting the, the positive aspects of the kingdom and the media. So what makes something positive and like, how do you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, how do you sure. discern between like, what's the, your approach toward dis deciding if something is positive or no negative? Sure. I mean, Richard and I see almost, I would say almost every single news article that comes out on Saudi Arabia. Yes, of course, we have a strong sentiment coding methodology in place where we look at each article, we weigh, we count the number of positive messages, the number of negative messages, and then we decide if the article is positive or not. If it's favorably speaking about the kingdom, that's a positive article. If it's it has balanced messages, that's a neutral article. And if it's criticizing the kingdom, that's a negative article. And a lot of times, because of this subjectivity, uh, we bring in the consultants you know to make the final say because this study is based you know it's it's based on objectivity there's no subjectivity involved at all it is interesting the distinction between awareness and perception um and and they're they're quite different things and right. i think it's it's fascinating during this period that you covered um saudi arabia starting in october 2022 essentially embarked on a very sort of controversial oil policy where they where they cut in you know and via OPEC plus but also with the Saudi in the lead cut production terrifically you know at the same time they're really you know with regard you mentioned Russia and the invasion of Ukraine they've tried yeah. to stay stay uh, sort of neutral on that um so there's been policies that globally 
certainly from the U.S. perspective, have been problematic. But as you say, even in this, this sort of traditional focus, you know, oil and, and other different diplomacy right. that Saudi Arabia, that we see Saudi Arabia, it's making headway in terms of awareness and perception. I think it's fascinating. It and you referenced, you referenced a few of them. The spikes, so that one of the graphs in the report is is the trends, positive trends and negative trends. And I want to come back to the negative trends. And 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 it it uh, sort of notes spikes. And so the spikes really the global AI summit, launch of gaming esports strategy, a spike yeah. with the spike with the win over Argentina, spike when Saudi Arabia hosted FIFA World Cup 23, 2023, spike when two Saudi astronauts successfully arrived to the International Space Station. These have nothing to do with oil. Nothing to do with you know a global uh, diplomacy or global politics. They have to do with obviously some of them have to do with football, which is you know universally loved, and and Saudi Arabia is deeply into yeah. it now. But it, it's it is interesting how th these are completely different touch points for a the layman, sort of the regular consumer of whatever comes over the news of about Saudi Arabia. And it's it's impressive how how Saudi Arabia has overcome the political obstacles by and it did that by leveraging its socio-economic innovations because the kingdom has done really strategic efforts and move and and efforts to move beyond its historical association association with oil and politics and these have all yielded remarkable results and we've seen that in the media so it shifted from being perceived primarily as an oil-driven economy and a hub for political activity to, to emerging as a vibrant uh, nation with, with social dynamism, dynamism, with cultural vitality. And that all was revealed in our report as well. And as you mentioned, uh, new topics have emerged that have never been associated with the kingdom before. Talk about sports, talk about diplomacy, talk about tourism. And our report has, in fact, shown that the coverage of social topics that are related to Saudi Arabia increased by an impressive 16% uh, in this edition. And this only underscores um, the growing interest and recognition of the kingdom's sociocultural developments. And at the same time, we've also seen a decline of around 10% and the coverage of economic news during the same time frame. And hmm. this also indicates a nuanced transition, you know, from focusing mainly on economic aspects and oil to, to acknowledging the broader social, cultural, and even a human element uh, that is all contributing to, to this evolving identity of the kingdom. So in the report, you break out uh, uh, several sections. You know, one of them is economic heights, the, the economy. You know, ec economic news, and I guess there's a, a an improvement of twenty three percent. And you specifically the, in the report it specifically mentions that the, the economic coverage was primarily driven by the expanding reach of the influence of the a public investment fund. Right. And it was interesting. Some of the examples, you know, the launch of Riyadh Air, uh, the investment yes. in Nintendo. Um, you know, this is sort of PIF, but separate, but, you know, the, the announcement of new Marumba. And um, so can you tell us a little bit about the economic messaging and how it's being received? I, can you repeat the last sentence, please, Richard? 
uh, to tell us, you know, in looking at the economic messaging, you know, and how it's being received because PIF is extraordinarily active. Saudi Arabia has, has, has giga project announcement after giga project announcement. And they're actually, one of the interesting things about 2023 is you're actually seeing real progress on the ground with a lot of these uh, major initiatives. Yes. And, sure. and, and, so and it seems like this is being well-received globally. It is, and it shifted from, from being an oil-driven economy, and that's the interesting part, into an economy that is reliant on diversification, you know, from sports, from tourism. So the economic aspects highlighted in the coverage are mainly related to how the kingdom is investing in, in new touch points, in sports, in healthcare, and in innovation, instead of being uh, solely an oil-driven economy. And according to the report, it's diplomatic moves. Some of its diplomatic moves have been well received too. And diplomatic moves as well, correct? Yeah. Go ahead. And, and sports, tourism, and diplomacy. These three things have have taken root in, in the global perception. Um, so if, if we want to talk about you know the sports, tourism, and diplomacy, uh, we can see that these three topics are are taking the spotlight and getting ton of attention in, in 2023. And what's really driving this change, it's it's the it's because the country is shaking things up with smart, small, smart moves uh, to simply show the world a different side. So let's talk about if we want to talk about sports, Richard. Um, the country is going all in on sports. Um not just on the field, but also behind the scenes as well. So they're investing big time, they're building cool sports infrastructure, uh, they're nurturing talent, they're making deals with key players, and the media is picking up on that. And this push is, is turning Saudi Arabia into a major global, major player um, on this global sports stage. And this is what the media is talking about. And they're hosting big events, uh, athletes are winning. Um, so uh, they're making waves worldwide. And to be honest, um, it's not just about sports here. It's also about bringing the nation together with pride, you know, over, over these new topics. Uh, if we want to talk about tourism, uh, the country is opening it do its doors to tourists like it never did before. Uh, the country is showing off their rich history, their cultural treasures. They're even making travel easier, you know, relaxed visa rules, uh, promoting their destinations. So it's like telling everyone, come check us out. And this move is, is not just introducing Saudi Arabia to new travelers, it's expanding um, its appeal uh, way beyond business, way beyond politics, way beyond oil. So it's like telling everyone we're more than just you, you thought we were once were. So this shift and the conversation, it, it really points to, to something bigger as well, that the country is not just about politics and money anymore. It's becoming known for sportsmanship, tourism, diplomacy, um, and so on. And the media is, of course, picking up on this. It is. And and we talk a lot about the reasons for the sports initiative. It's not only, you know, marquee acquisitions abroad or, or you know, you know, a high high wealth, you know, football transfers. It's really about participation and health at home. And and as you say, building this national identity, because, you know, as as we know, we've talked about in the 966, you know, Saudis, like so many 
in the region. Saudis love their football, and it goes way wow. back to the fifties and sixties. And and you know what's going on has even you know created even more sort of loyalty and and passion about it all. So, but let's talk about the largest negative that came out of the report was uh, was had to do with sports washing and accusations yeah. of sports washing. What was what's what was Karma's assessment of that? So we we definitely believe that uh, there will always be negative mentions in the media around you know around Saudi Arabia that will never stop. But the amount of positivity has surpassed the amount of negativity, and that's a very good indication of where the kingdom is heading. Uh, we've seen a lot of articles on sports washing accusing the kingdom, you know, of using sports to to launder to to clean up its image. But we really think that the kingdom is undergoing this journey of transformation and this journey of transformation it's it's changing how we we see the kingdom and it's it's not just about looking cool it's about the cultural growth economic growth that we're seeing on the ground so um we it's like the country is stepping onto this global stage with a whole new identity and everyone is watching that so the progress is real the the achievements are there they're real and we can see them and the media is picking up on that fascinating uh and and you know in one of the again one of the graphs in the report you talk about it's the positive awareness positive perception has moved up to 71 percent negative has remained pretty consistent and i guess in your world and your you know, awareness of people's perceptions, there's always sort of a hardcore negative that you're never going to get past. It's, it's never going to be just like, as with the United States, which has negative perceptions as well as positive. You're never going to eliminate all the negative perceptions. At all. Correct. And, and but, you know, one of the things that, again, and this was really interesting to us, and we talk about it on the 966, is, is what do you choose to discuss and what do you choose to focus on? And in terms of the current narrative of Saudi Arabia, there are, just as you've outlined, you know, while we've been speaking, all these different narrative storylines that are, uh, are very compelling and very front forward and are very meaningful to Saudi Arabia. And maybe this is what we should be talking about more so. And, and, and the beauty of this is what, whatever we feel is your report sort of validates that, that is, it's getting some traction. So with this traction, what are the recommendations that Karma has, you know, for what's next, how to leverage this progress? Sure. So I've talked about the amazing work and this is great, but drawing from the experience of other nations, uh, we, we can outline some recommendations. One uh, is about to back up the promises and back up, backing up the promises is is about showing, not just telling. So uh, we recommend opening the doors of the impressive Giga project uh, to the world to see. Uh, it's like an open invitation, you know, for global inspection, for media tours. And uh, we're drawing here from the experience of Dubai, just like how Dubai caught everyone's attention uh, with the Burj Khalifa during its constructions. So when people can actually see the progress happening, not just words, see it's real, see the tangible progress, uh, it's hard to ignore it. And it also creates a buzz of excitement around uh, what, what they're doing. So they can share stories about the successful sales, the partnerships, the investments, and, and the sectors that are especially on the rise these days. 
So it's like showing the world that we're not just talking the talk, we're actually walking the walk. Uh, they can share these wins. They can let the world know that they're not afraid to work with others on a global scale. Uh, and they can send a, this can send a message of openness and collaboration that it's not just about us, it's about joining hands with the world to achieve something bigger. Um, another re recommendation uh, we also came across in our report is about telling uh, the, the social liberation story. And telling the social liberation story is about um, celebrating personal achievements, sharing local success stories, um, highlighting the beauty of, of each and every corner in the kingdom. Uh, every year, more and more, more and more women are are achieving their dreams. They're graduating, and it's not just numbers. This is a very powerful story of achievement, of progress that helps show the world what what they are doing. Um, there's also the Saudis who traveled abroad to study and are now backed. These stories of personal growth of the people and their accomplishments need to take center stage. Um, they need to share stories that go beyond Riyadh and Jeddah because it's time to, to widen the lens and bring stories from all corners of the kingdom. You know, Riyadh and Jeddah are amazing, no doubt, but Saudi Arabia is so much more than the, these two cities. Um, when, when we tell the liberation story, Richard, we're not just talking about number and statistics. We're, we're like telling the world about the journey of individuals, of humans, the growth of the community, uh, the diversity of our nation. And it helps to break down um, the old stereotypes and to show a side um, of the kingdom that's vibrant, that's youthful, that's dynamic, and that's filled with promises. Uh, finally, uh, of course, there needs to be a continue fo continuing focus on Vision 2030 because Vision 2030 is like a roadmap that's guiding the kingdom's journey to the future. And as as the time goes on, it's natural that things will, will evolve. So this means that there might be updates, there might be enhancements to the vision. It's like upgrading you know our navigation system for for a better route so when we zoom out it's not just about us anymore it's about the global impact and it's important to highlight the campaigns that to capture the attention of the world more and more um think of vision 2030 as, as a story of transformation and with every update with every campaign we're like adding a new chapter to this narrative um it's 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 about highlighting vision 2030 from the people's perspective from the community's perspective um and and uh, and highlighting more and more the nation's journey uh, towards this bright future ahead of the kingdom it's been fascinating and you know those of us paying attention you know when this vision 2030 idea and I, as you know there's vision programs all over the world, you know, lots of countries yeah. have them. And when it was first sort of broached and became on our radar, which was late uh, 2015, then it became official. Yes. It became became official April 2016. Right. And I think for everybody, so in our shop here, and I, I remember saying, "All right, so so here's a here's a roadmap, here's a template. Are you going to do the work?" And I think 
what's really been notable, and I, I, you know, like it or not, this really needs to be attributed largely to the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman because he's sure. so he is a true believer. He's a dynamo. He thinks this is the right way to go, and you know, he's 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 all in on making it successful. So, you know, six seven years six years later, seven years later. By all accounts, Saudi Arabia is doing the work. And it's interesting in this report to see now perceptions, awareness catching up, and then perceptions will follow after that. Um, and I, I think from the Saudi perspective, they have to be they have to be pleased because at the end of the day, they're doing this for themselves. They're not doing this for the world. But it's 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 gratifying and it's also important in many ways that the world understand that it's being done and ha- you know appreciate that it's being done it's no longer aspirational and what what once seemed back in 2016 like a difficult task is now actually a reality and Mm -hmm. vision 2030 has really touched the lives of of millions of people inside the kingdom it has transformed the country so it's happening and and if i talk about my experience every time i visit Riyadh, i feel something has changed a lot and every time I'm caught by surprise by the spirit of the city and how it's changing. And Richard, there isn't really an adjective big enough to describe the change that the country has seen. Yeah. Uh, I remember back in the days when when we women used to, to visit Riyadh, we used to wear, we, we had to wear scarves, we had to, be, to wear the abaya, but it's not the case anymore. The country is opening up. And this is what Riyadh represents now is a testament, you know, to to the to that achievement of Vision 2030 and the winds of change happening across the kingdom. Absolutely. Rowan Hashem, head of Karma's Content Insights Division, discussing shifting media perceptions of Saudi Arabia. Just an awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Rowan. Thank you both. I've really enjoyed sharing these insights on the podcast with you today and uh, from my role as the head of insights at karma I've, I've as i said i've really witnessed the transformation during journey through the media intelligence but i want to leave you with the thought that this journey isn't just about media intelligence or data analysis it's it's about changing lives building bridges creating a better future and a brighter future for the kingdom so thank you so much for having me and, and I look forward to more exciting discussions ahead. That was our conversation with Rowan Hashem. Thank you, Rowan, for your time. That was a really, really cool convo. Hopefully she joins us again here soon. Yes. You know, Karma Karma's gonna keep doing this. So we'll 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 have some updates in uh, you know, some quarter down the road. And it'd be awesome to have her back. She's excellent. Yep. Richard, shall we? Let's get to Yella. Saudi Yella. In a minute. You know what? Episode 202 is when we are promising a new transitory, you know, oh, yes, jingle we could. or you something. Know, gonna, it'll take us that long to come up with something. What we but have I now is pretty you, good. It's I'm, pretty I'm compelling. Not, I, but we, I cannot promise it will be any less stupid. <laughs> no, we actually promise an elevated stupidity to yes, whatever yes, bit that is. Well, it's going to get worse. <laughs> well, at that point, we'll be better at podcasting, so it'll be refined type of stupidity, you know? Yeah, that's that's true. 
That's true. That's a good type of stupidity and, to have. And, once and it by gets the refined. way, <laughs> that's a major assumption that we'll be better at podcasting. So that's well, you, what the problem <clears throat> is, is how could it get any better than this? We're going viral on TikTok. Um, this is I was actually peak. thinking, how could it get any worse? But yeah. <laughs> Um, yellow number one, the Saudi Esports Federation has announced a three-year partnership with American fast food company KFC. The partnership will focus on supporting local esports talent in the region by providing more opportunities to advance to international esports events. Moreover, a release added that the agreement will support women's esports initiatives through the first female Saudi E-League. The deal aims to directly influence the grassroots esports scene in Saudi Arabia, the two parties announced that a series of events and challenge-based initiatives will take place during the next three years, and the initiatives will serve to offer players a direct pathway into SEFs, Saudi Esports Federation, esports development programs, and ultimately its esports scene. Saudi Arabia has made some investments into esports. This is clearly an area of focus for them. And there's been a lot out there on that alongside of golf and uh, football and other sports. So this is interesting. I, I chuckle, Richard, because, you know, esports isn't exactly the most active of the sports it implies in fact that you are sitting down or maybe standing but not really moving you're controlling something that's moving but so you know kfc is kind of a good oh, partnership because you know, it's i didn't even just kind of sitting there and oh, you know goodness. maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> i just don't know how well it would go if it were the saudi esports federation or any esports company and you know uh uh, sweet green or a salad you, company you know or something like that. You know what's funny is when I saw this, I'm going, well, how could you eat KFC if you're you're you know you have a, a, a you know a controller in your hand and you're trying you know you can't because it'd be you'd really have to stop playing, go eat, and you know come back. Well, yeah, you've got the grease finger situation. It's funny, football, American football is back on and is back playing in the U.S. now, and it's really uh, something to behold when you see advertisements the first week of college football oh, yeah. and then soon the nfl of you know it's a, a lot of it is pizza delivery and yeah. fast food because people are like we're going to be watching this game and sitting here and eating <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, exactly <laughs> um uh, yeah. i you know i i like this story because esports was one of the early uh, esports and 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 so so you've got savvy, which is investing deeply into esports. You've got things like this uh, with the esports federation and KFC. But I, I, it really feels like the uh, the institutional attention and the focus on esports is in response to a groundswell of authentic interest in the kingdom. You know, there, there there's a lot of gamers in the kingdom already. You know, regardless of any of these other promotions or initiatives or investments or whatever, there are a lot of gamers in KSA. And I feel like these uh, initiatives like this are following the interest. And I say that because you, I don't know that you can say that about golf, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, the investment in golf has its own uh, merits or it's its own uh, thinking. Um, you can't say that about football, but, you know, certainly in esports. I really felt like, okay, and obviously people say, well, this is this is a direct result of the crown prince being a, a young guy and very much into esports and gaming. 
But, you know, that's a reflection of the Saudi, larger Saudi population, which is younger and very much into esports. I really feel like, you know, these steps are following the public interest. Do you have a preferred American or even global fried chicken brand that you are to which you are loyal or? I don't. Fried chicken, you know, I, I, I tend more to, you know, chicken sandwiches. Yeah. So, so, Chick, you know, so Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, you know, those are all good by me. Yeah. I don't think there's Chick-fil-A in Saudi Arabia. I don't think it's there That's an yet. interesting. That's an interesting thing. Of course, they don't open on Sundays, which is which is, you know, first day of the week in Saudi. On top of that, they're, you know, it's a very, you know, the owners of, of, of Chick-fil-A are, are strong, you know, publicly strong Christians. I don't know if that would ever be a business issue. Certainly wouldn't be a business issue in Saudi Arabia, but maybe that Sunday thing might be a, a problem, but that is interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they've even looked at it. Well, maybe we could be the first franchisee, although now the word is out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Chick -fil Chick-fil-A is, is so good. Um, and good we, ju we just talked off the record, uh, but I'm definitely going to do a one big thing down the line on food and probably chicken. Cause I feel like I've had a lot in Saudi Arabia as many Saudis claim that fried chicken there is superior and yes. there is good fried chicken there. Um, but superior, I don't know. Hang on to episode 108. Well, or, we should do, uh, <laughs> we should do a tasting tour. That would maybe, be cool. Maybe yeah, we can yeah, get yeah. this funded. We get sure we get KFC. We'll get some video games out. Tasting uh, tour. We get some esports. <laughs> fried um, chicken tasting tour of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> uh, fried chicken and podcasting also would not go well. You have to have course, a lot of source of information. Your mouse, you know, it's and it also sound good. <laughs> the return flight might not be good because there's weight restrictions. By the time we get to the return flight, God knows what we'd be looking at. Oh man, <laughs> that. Uh, that's ladies and gentlemen at home. Do not eat fried chicken before you fly, please. Um, yellow number two, Saudi Arabia is planting 80 million trees in the Saudi Royal reserves. The new forests will protect wildlife and are a part of ecotourism, tourism developments and the goal to attract 2.3 million tourists by 2030. The Saudi Royal reserves also known as the King Salman bin Abdulaziz Royal nature reserve KSRNR. Not the easy. That doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but I like the Saudi Royal Reserves. Is the largest nature, natural reserve in the kingdom, spanning over 130 square kilometers. The reserve has geo has geographical diversity and monuments so rare they date back to 8,000 BC. Sitting next to the Jordan Saudi border, the reserves are located within four regions: Hail, Tabuk, Al Jawf, and the northern borders. Al Jouf, I think it is. Yeah, I. Uh, this is a good one. I don't. I honestly, uh, Saudi Royal Reserves, and that's how these things go. If you're wearing the weeds all day with them, um, every day with the Seustig Review and, and publications and things, you know, I didn't know what they were until just recently. I didn't know they existed. And when they talked about 80 million trees, I was thinking they're all over the country. But in this case, it's 80 million trees in these Saudi Royal Reserves. Very cool. <clears throat> Very cool. Yeah. And that this is just part of the total tree planting. Right. Significant uh, situation going on there. Of course, you have Green Riyadh, you know, uh, Green Saudi, the mangroves. We've seen a lot of that recently because they're really good at taking carbon out of the air. So cool. They're they're putting a lot of trees in the ground. Billions, I think, is the plan. So, yes, it's pretty yes. cool. Uh, yellow number three, the second edition. And as we know, if you're a regular listener to the 966, mm -hmm. yes. I like these 
I like these sort of, I don't know what they're called, obtuse? They're not obtuse, but I like these sort of unusual sports, like the Dakar Rally and that sort of thing. So this is, I was excited about this. The second edition of the Neon Beach Games is scheduled to start on October 21 and continuing to the end of November. More than 800 competitors from all over the world will compete in a series of sporting events that includes the Super League Triathlon Neon, the Neon Beach Soccer Cup, awesome, the Neon FIBA 33 Challenger 23, uh, the Neon Titan Desert Saudi Arabia, which is uh, a bike race, I believe, and the Neom IFSC, which is International Federation of Sport Climbing Masters, which will conclude the Beach Games November 24th. Absolutely amazing. Wait, can you, am I, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I'm going to have to cut that out. Sorry, I can't hear myself, which just got really weird. Anyway, so that's fine. Are your headphones plugged in? Uh, Yeah, because I can hear you. Uh, So anyway, that's super weird. This thing's a little janky. Anyway, sorry. Um, Jumping in. This is cool because those are 800 people and potentially their families and coaches and other staff and athletic training and other people that will visit Saudi Arabia and uh, uniquely visit Neom, which is just kind of getting off the ground in terms of a place to visit. But Richard, I remember we did this. I think this was either we did the beach games. It was sort of a long time ago, maybe in like the 30s episodes, but we both sort of were talking about uh, these Neom beach games as being like, well, this is, I mean, this is not just like a one-off event. This is a really serious and really cool event. So good yeah, on them. I, I, it is cool that it's coming back. I guess this, this you know, one of the things when I was at Lula, it was neat. You can do, um, you can do sort of more. I, when I travel, I like to be active. And so they have bike tours and that sort of thing. This Titan Desert Saudi Arabia mountain bike race. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not in shape to do the race, but, you know, they're doing 230 male and female riders four stages, 80 to 120 kilometers per stage. I just think it'd be amazing to see the countryside that way. And uh, anyway, it's just uh, very cool. Very cool. That'd be, you know, this is my ideal of, of going to see a new place and, and doing something active while you're there. I'd love, I'd love to go see the world in a neon beach game sort of format where you get to go and, you know, do stuff. I don't think I've done any, like, I've never really been to like an Olympics. I feel like that'd be such a cool way to go see a place because you have something that is drawing you there to do. And then like you just said, you could get to see other stuff. But usually when I travel anywhere, I just set up my e-game portal, e-sports portal with my chicken and I just chill. (laughs) I don't leave. I don't want to see anything. (laughs) Um, Really, really cool. Uh, Yella number four, Saudi Arabia and Russia said they would extend their cuts in oil supplies through the rest of 2023. The cuts, 1 million barrels a day of output by Saudi Arabia and 300,000 barrels a day of exports by Russia are intended to support oil prices. The Saudis first announced voluntary cuts early in the summer and they have until now been extended on a month to month basis. The moves help push up oil prices, which have been on the rise in recent weeks. Futures for Brent crude, the international benchmark, reached $90 a barrel for the first time this year. West Texas Intermediate Crude, WTI, the U.S. benchmark, reached $87.75. It's just a fascinating time in the oil industry. And and Saudi, so I think people, experts were expecting them to take it through October, but so they still take it through the end of the the year. But they also said, both Saudi Arabia and Russia, that they would review it monthly. And, um, you know, it's, 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 
it's taken a toll. I mean, IMF just had their consultations with, with Saudi Arabia, and they predict their GDP will uh, contract about 1% in this year. Um, but, you know, Saudi's making a choice, and it's clearly, in this case, they've put a floor under, and now it's climbing back up in prices. I just think it's really hard to read the market. I think it's, you know, they have to be encouraged in terms of demand that the odds Goldman Sachs just recently said the probability of U.S. recession starting the next 12 months is at 15%. So it's down from 20%. So those, you know, the, the U.S. economy is looking pretty good. The Chinese economy is hard to tell. But uh, regardless, I don't know, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, the relationship between production export, you know, and price for Saudi Arabia, you know, you know how those two work with each other in terms of their revenues. So, you know, is is a break-even point, you know, $80, you know, exporting 8 million barrels a day? Or is it, you know, $90 exporting 6.5 million barrels a day? They know this and they're making choices. So it's just fascinating to watch. It's <laughs> a, a great point. That would be very valuable, very valuable information to have on the outside. Yeah. They, they know something is part of a strategy um, you know, something about their strategy is leading them to say, we, if we don't do this, then prices are going to fall and maybe buy a lot. So, you know, it's, it's still funny. This is still very, you know, top level news for the oil market is Saudi Arabia and, and Russia and what they're doing. So yeah. Good um, a good one. Yeah. Yellen number five. Saudi Arabia and Iran have reached a groundbreaking deal to resume home and away football matches between club sides. After seven years of competing in neutral venues, the Asian Football Confederation, AFC, said on Monday, the move by the two countries' football federations would contribute to, quote, fostering closer ties between their respective footballing communities, allowing clubs to host matches on their home turf and visiting the respective away stadiums, creating a more engaging and exciting experience for the fans and players alike, unquote, the AFC said in a statement. Good for both of these nations and really good for the people of both of these nations. And, and again, whenever Saudi Iran comes up, I feel like I have to just say that I was on the record of saying, I don't see this thing being very durable and here we are. So, yeah, I mean, have you been, uh, Richard, have you visited Iran? No, I've never been to Iran. I, yeah, I, I, I have not. I've been I mean, to I, Iraq. Yeah, it would not be something you would do. And I spoke to a friend. There's there is a large Iranian community in the U.S. in general, and then you know in different cities and stuff. So I have a few Iranian friends from where I grew up, and um, I've told them that I would love to visit Iran, and they were like, "Not in your lifetime, maybe maybe <laughs> later." But Ronaldo will be visiting. Yeah, Iran well, there soon. you go. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, right. it's kind of cool. I mean, because it's such a beautiful, it seems you know, unique place. Um, our landlord is Iranian, and if there is a sweeter, kinder gentleman on the planet, I don't know him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just a wonderful human being, and his family is too. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. I mean, but uh, I, you know, it's just I would love to visit Iran. That'd be fascinating. But I'd love to visit a lot of places. You can visit Saudi Arabia <laughs> now. And by the way, you don't. And need I love a, visiting Saudi Arabia. You can get a tourist visa 
in one hour and or you can actually do it on arrival so just show up <laughs> and you can get in which is not do that about do that in iran but yeah. anyway don't this, do that in iran on the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not investment <laughs> yeah, especially advice. if you're american yeah unless you want to be a hostage um, um I, I i like this this was a good uh yellow because um this is in keeping with what Saudi Arabia is trying to do across the board, but it's essentially which is take obstacles off the board and deconflict and uh, clear a pathway to let us do what we want to do, which is build a sports and tie and you know a sports sporting sector, be a viable candidate to host you know FIBA or AFC or all these things, and and um, you know because you know in that quote. You know, the last part of that quote was creating a more engaging and exciting experience for fans and players alike. I, they're speaking to the home audience. They're speaking to Saudi citizens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything that's going on with their football initiative and bringing in transfers and this sort of thing and, you know, changing the rules of the league and investment opportunities is, is to make that experience better for their citizens. And you can see it in any number of sectors saying, let's just get this crap off the field and clear the way so we can we can make progress in these sectors and not have anything get in the way of what we want to accomplish. Yella number six, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund will fully acquire the Saudi Iron and Steel Company, also known as Hadid, from Sabic in a $3.3 billion deal as the kingdom seeks to accelerate its industrial development. The deal is expected to close before the end of the first quarter of 2024, Sabic said in a bourse filing to the Saudi Tadawul, the stock exchange, quote, these transactions will bring together PIF's financial capabilities and industry experience with Hadid and Raji Steele's leading technical and commercial expertise to create a national champion in Saudi Arabia's steel sector. The PIF's deputy governor and head of MENA Investments said. Interesting. Um, you know, PIF has an M.O., and and you you look at this and they're going okay, you know this sector we let's move this along and then you know it, it, if we want to move it along let's get involved and and you know pump it up and and see if we can't make some faster progress because it's interesting here so Hadid so the way it works is uh, so you have Al Raji steel which produces, it makes it Mohammed Abdulaziz Al-Raji and Sons Investment Company, and it produces over 2 million tons of steel annually. Uh, they're going to get shares of a deed. Uh, you know, they're going to controlling, you know, the deed's going to get control of that in return for shares. A deed, which produces 5.2 million tons of steel, did in 2022, is going to be taken over by PIF. So PIF is now getting control of production facilities of just over 7 million tons of steel annually. And, you know, it, it, I assume they're going to come in and, and try and, you know, best practices and, and making key investments and uh, eliminate inefficiencies. And you just push it a lot harder than it's moving along. And again, that's sort of PIF's MO in key sectors. So it's fascinating to see now in the steel sector. Part of the playbook, Richard, great conversation. Great episode this week. Um, Thank you. (laughs) That was always always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. We will be back next week. 
And we have a really good run here in September and October going forward. So we're just so excited. And we're so excited for all of you guys who are listening and watching us. It's really motivating, especially our new TikTok fam, <laughs> which, <laughs> we just, which we just discovered, which is cool. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome.